everything that you've ever seen about Cuba is a lie. So when Benny first gave us the news that we're going, I think we all got excited. So I started doing a lot of research. I was looking online and all I saw was a beautiful country. Very colorful photos with all the classic American cars. To know that this is a socialist country, the pieces didn't quite fit to me. We're supposed to say socialism sucks, but how's it gonna, how are we gonna show that if socialism doesn't actually suck? All I can see about Cuba is as this gorgeous Caribbean wonderland. Nothing in American establishment or corporate media will prepare you for what you are about to see when you land in Cuba. It's all lies, all of it. It's communist propaganda, what you see about Cuba. Once we got on the island, going through customs, once we got our bags, then like people came out because we were on the radar and they go into the back and they're like, we have to take this back and ex examine it. They didn't like that there was a drone inside my suitcase. Yeah. And because they didn't like that, they took my passport for seven hours. Emotionally, it went from like, what is this place? When we were in the line to like getting angry, to like getting pretty furious and just like screw this place, to then just kind of like after hour five, you're just like Stockholm syndrome. Like, okay, I guess I speak Spanish and live in uh, Cuba now. And you're just like, whatever happens, happens. And you're just kind of like, submitting to this terrible process. When we left the airport, after seven hours, I think we thought, oh, the worst is behind us and we could not have been more wrong. To see everything online uh, prior, uh, this was like a wake up call. That's when we started to realize that Cuba sucks. So let's do a list of things you can't get in Cuba. Like, like regular things that you can't get in Cuba. Water. Couldn't find water. Gas. Can't find gas. Chicken. Food. We can't find gas. There's no gas available. Every gas station we go to, shut down. Day two, trying to get gas. We are in the biggest city in the country. We are in the most modern city in the country. And this is the beginning of the line to get gas. Here we go. You'll notice people are sitting in their cars. This is not, these aren't parked cars. These are people that are sitting and waiting. It is probably 100 degrees outside. You have multiple people that are pushing their cars. Look, these people are pushing their vehicles because their vehicles are out of gas. This is a functioning line. These are not parked cars. These are human beings inside of their vehicles. They're pushing the cars. They're eating lunch. Here we go. Up there, see that? That's the gas station. And so what we ended up doing was cheating the system. And a guy pops his head into my car door and says, it, it's called, says, my name is Stalin. We don't actually what? know much about Stalin. We don't know oh. anything about yeah. Stalin. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, we come home and Benny came and we meet him outside. It was like, hey guys, meet Stalin. He's gonna take me to go get gas. And then he gets in the car and you're like, yeah. see you guys. And we're like, Benny's gonna die. Yeah. That's the last time we'll see him. <laughs> <Literally>. <laughs>
<laughs> Thanks, Stalin. So here's Stalin hustling me. I genuinely lost weight in Cuba. Like, I genuinely came home roughly eight pounds lighter. The food looked like a child made it. Yeah, it looked like your kids made you a meal on Father's Day. That's all they have. They just get what the government delivers them every day. I think we decided to go grocery shopping because the food was trash and there's no, we can't get anywhere, so we'll just go to the grocery store. So we, we, uh, we drove over there all together. We pulled up to the grocery store and the gates were closed and there was a line down the street. This is insane. All of a sudden, they, the guards come to the gate and they open the gate. And that's when, I've never seen this before, but everyone swarms. People started running, even people that weren't in line, that were just like in the area, just start sprinting in there because this is their only chance to get their essentials and the necessities to feed their families. So I really hope that you like Conchita Mango Marmalade because we have a whole aisle of it. Here in Cuba, you can get an individually wrapped hamburger and that's as fresh as the meat actually gets. Oh, this one's all melty. But my God, can you get a lot of the exact same brand of garbanzo beans. And then after you're done buying all these incredible products, you can stand in line for literally an hour, which is as long as we've been standing in line. And I'm telling you, you probably are not gonna like Cuba that much. There was literally no fresh fruit, no fresh meat, no fresh vegetables, nothing. There was one brand of the things they did have and the things they didn't have, well, screw you. So. That is life inside of socialist Pan-Americana here in Cuba. Socialism sucks. This area was so developed. All around you there's just beautiful development. Mansions by every American standard, mansions. Just one generation, all of this wealth, all of this beauty evaporated, rotted, unsustainable because nobody has any private wealth to keep it up. This is just a block up from the tourist area and there's so much trash and garbage in the street that it is like the smell is so putrid that you can barely walk by it. There's flies everywhere. It's just an overflowing dumpster of rotting trash. It's really gross. You hear, it's like a trope. Communism, everyone's equal. Equally miserable, equally sad, equally depressed, equally poor. Ha ha ha, it's like you can see it on a t-shirt. No, it actually does suck. Like it actually is that. Like communism succeeds in the crushing of the human spirit and the helplessness and the beaten downness of the Cuban people is one of the saddest things I've ever experienced. I'll never forget that building that me and Josh snuck into walking around. This is a beachfront property and you, it looked like a war zone. It looked like a bomb had hit it. Walk inside, you can see two stories down because the floors are blown out. Same thing upstairs, just crumbled. When I went back outside, I noticed that there's fresh laundry and people inside these buildings, they are still living in this building 
and I will never forget that. That, to me, is just like, you cannot tell me that socialism works. Look around you. The effects of socialism are everywhere. Crumbling infrastructure and disgusting living conditions. That is what socialism has brought to Cuba. Maybe the socialists in America should take a short trip, a short 90-mile trip, and come here and say they want this in America. It was like going through ruins. And the horrific thing is that no one is living in the Pantheon right now. Like, no one lives in the Acropolis. It's a ruin. These are ruins that people are living in. Uh, socialism is popular in America now. What do you think of socialism? Uh, it's very popular. Yeah. Wow. But now, for us, no, it's good. For Cuban people now... Not good? No, my friend. No, it's possible petroleum. Yeah. Nothing. For this, the people, no, it's possible go for the walking. Listen to me. Uh-huh. My country is very because everything problem here. Don't have petroleum for bus and Cuban, for car, for drive, for nothing. You understand? My country is very A rec center that looks like this would be completely condemned. But this is a functional rec center in Cuba. There's kids playing soccer right over here. This is the reality of what happens when you have capitalism that goes to socialism. And the people who suffer under this are honestly the kids because this is where they have the play. It sucks. And it pisses you off too because the people there, the people of Cuba are some of the nicest people I've ever met. So watching them live in turmoil, watching them live in ruins, actually kind of like pisses you off. And these people don't know any better. Their families have been there for generations. But it'll actually piss you off to see really great people, friendly people, welcoming warm people, subjugated to living in trash. buzzer at the door would be like police and it actually was and now we're seeing what they're gonna do with our cards and if we're going to jail. You hear the buzzer ringing like it continues to ring, it continues to ring, it continues to ring. We were joking <laughs> because it woke us up and we were like I was like it's the cops <laughs> and then our translator comes in and he's like it's the cops. <laughs> <laughs> This was an armed contingent of probably a dozen people, one person in a doctor's outfit, and a bunch of government officials, many of them brandishing weapons, that were bang physically banging down the door, demanding access, and demanding that we leave all of our stuff to them. And so I got on the phone with the embassy, and the guy says, get here now. All right, let's get the out of this country. So, what did she tell you? So, the maid while we're leaving is freaked out, just absolutely freaked out. Uh, government officials knocking down her door. She fears for her own safety, for her going to jail. Uh, and let us know clearly that's not something that happened. I hope this is the last time we have to deal with the country of Cuba. Like, the, the embassy staff was very sweet, talking with us. Like, like personally meeting with us, very sweet, 
But the embassy staff came out and said something horrific and something that was probably the scariest thing said to me in all of Cuba, which is, I can't help you. Like, you guys are out there. I can't help you. He didn't want us to be in that situation. So the, the guy leaned in and essentially said, I'm asking you, leave the country. So we booked that flight. We changed that flight. We were out. And within two hours, we were at the airport, gone. We are at the airport in Havana, leaving Havana a day early. That is the, uh, that is how our Cuba trip ends with some, some more awesome government. It's heartbreaking that that's, a, that's just a reality for the Cuban people. They don't know natural rights. Even more so heartbreaking is that there are Americans here that would have that governance brought here. I felt like that experience was the front lines of what communism really is. And it's not even, we didn't even see the worst of it. But just we had a fraction of that and to see it firsthand and to realize that's what people are like wanting to bring to America. Seeing everything on social media and online about Cuba and it looking so amazing, then to see the harsh reality of Cuba is just, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get why that's all you see. This is what it's like to live without a U.S. Constitution. It is the, the rights and the vibrancy and the ability to have a First Amendment right to just say what you want, gone in Cuba. Second Amendment right, gone in Cuba. Third Amendment, Fourth Amendment, you have no rights. And it was, my takeaway is that I have never been happier to be an American. Everything that you have seen about Cuba is a lie. Hi, I'm Graham Allen, and in 180 seconds, I'm going to convince you that our American heroes didn't die for socialism. They died for freedom. See, I'm a veteran, and when America needed me, I answered the call. I fought for my country and deployed to war zones. I proudly count myself among the tens of millions of Americans who have fought for this country. Tens of millions. That is a big number. But I know the one thing that unites all these veterans. Not a single one fought for more oppressive government control over their lives. The number of Americans who have died fighting for this country is an estimated 1.3 million, and that is a staggering number. 600,000 Americans died in the Civil War, 407,000 lives being lost in World War II, 57,000 lives lost in Vietnam, 40,000 in Korea, and the modern war on terror has cost 7,000 American lives. Here is why I can say with confidence that none of those Americans died for socialism. Socialism is a system of equal outcomes, but not equal opportunity. It is implemented by dictators such as Mao Zedong, Joseph Stalin, and Fidel Castro, just to name a few. This is a system that destroys individual purpose, where everyone, no matter the effort, is rewarded equally. Take the most current example, Venezuela. Once a thriving economy was convinced that socialism was the answers to all their problems. 
I mean, I guess if Venezuela accomplished anything, it would be that they are in fact equal, equally poor and equally starving. Some even walking miles to carry their children to receive the one meal that they will have for that entire day. In fact, the average Venezuelan adult has lost an average of 25 pounds. Their currency is worthless. Their people are fleeing, not running towards the oppression. According to the Black Book of Communism published by Harvard University, communism has killed over 94 million people. Were it not for America's military crushing the dictators, massacring these people, the number would be so much higher. So if Americans did not die for socialism, what did they die for? My fellow Americans fought for self-determination, for the God-given right of every man and woman to live free of the jackboot of totalitarians who wish to control us. The American champion system of human rights and human capitalism has now conquered the globe. Capitalism has plummeted the global poverty rate by 80% since the 1970s. Capitalism has led to incredible declines in world hunger and infant mortality and incredible gains in literacy and longevity around the globe. A study of the effects of American-style democracy by Oxford University shows that people living under a free democratic system are more likely to be richer, healthier, more educated, and live longer, happier lives. The American warrior fought for the capitalist value system that gives everyone on earth access to a better life. Is America perfect? No. But even on our worst day, America is still the greatest country in the world and only because an estimated 1.3 million American heroes died for freedom, not for socialism. I'm Graham Allen for Turning Point USA and in 180 seconds I just convinced you socialism sucks. Hi, I'm Grover Norquist. I run Americans for Tax Reform. And in 180 seconds, I'm going to convince you our government should be taking 1% to 2% of our income, not about a third, which is what it's taking right now. Right now, the government takes about a third of our income and spends it on our behalf. That doesn't have to be the case. We started, before we were a nation, at one to two percent. That's what we were paying in 1774. The Brits were paying 20 percent. In London, they were paying 20 percent taxes. We were paying one to two. We were growing faster. We were richer than the Brits were. That continued for a long time. It spiked during the Civil War. It spiked during World War I. But it was one to two percent, three to four percent, all the way through that period and then spiked again in World War II, that's when it didn't come back. The government decided we have all this lovely money. Why should we ever let the American people have it back just because the war is over? And that's when we got up to 15% at the federal level and now up to about 20%, too high. Some politicians are even calling for a 70% tax rate in the United States. We've done that. It didn't work. That's why we stopped it. We even had 90% after World War II. 
And John F. Kennedy said 90% is ridiculous. It's slowing economic growth. It cost us government revenue. They took it from 90 down to 70. In the 1960s, we had strong growth in the 60s. Then Reagan came into office. He said 70% is too high. Took it down to 50, down to 28. Every time they cut the rates, the government had more money because the economy grew, because the American people were wealthier and more successful. We walked away from 90%, we walked away from 70%, and the whole world followed our model. We need to take a look at what worked. We grew faster. We had more wealth. We had more people coming. We had a tremendous economic growth, and the government was small because people did what they needed to do. They ran their own lives. They didn't need the government to tell them what to do. Now we have a government looking for things to do, looking for reasons to raise our taxes. That's how we grew slowly. It'll take a while to go back down again, but there's all the difference in the world between moving in the wrong direction slowly and moving in the correct direction slowly. Step one, no new taxes, no tax increase. Stop moving towards stupid. Stop moving towards higher taxes and then begin the process of reforming government to cost less. Am I suggesting no government? Uh-uh. I don't want no government. I want a small, manageable government that Americans control, not a government big enough to control us. I'm looking for a government small enough so we could drag it into the bathroom and drown it in the bathtub. A government we control, small enough to be controlled by an American people. And that's my argument in 180 seconds about how to get to real tax reform towards 1% to 2%. I'm Kendall Jones, and in 180 seconds, I'm going to convince you that hunting does not hurt animals, it helps them. Hunting is my life. I started hunting when I was eight years old. I've hunted on different continents and all across the United States. Hunters pay billions to protect the environment from destructive human development. Hunters are the world's greatest environmentalists. The purchase of tags and licenses are necessary documents obtained to ensure your hunt is legal and that the wildlife's habitat is preserved. In 2017, 36.82 million tags, stamps, and hunting licenses were bought in the United States. The money that hunters generate brings in over $1.6 billion in the United States per year. Preservation is extremely important because the area for wildlife to live free in America is rapidly shrinking. The human footprint in the continental United States grew by more than 24 million acres from 2001 to 2017. That's equivalent to the loss of roughly a football field worth of natural area every 30 seconds. Hunters are doggedly devoted to preserving the environment and saving those natural areas. Responsible hunting leads to more wildlife, not less. In Africa, old bulls will fight off the younger ones for mates. However, the older bulls can't always reproduce. This makes the herd stagnant in numbers. Hunting older animals gives opportunity for the younger in the herd to reproduce and have access to food and habitat. 
If done correctly, hunting actually ensures the longevity of an animal population. Overpopulation of a species can have a devastating effect on the species itself. Having too many animals possesses many problems, such as a shortage in food, disease, fighting, and starvation for the animal species. Overpopulation of deer, elk, and moose have led to 1.5 million deer versus car collisions annually in the United States. Responsible hunters help keep out of control local wildlife populations in check, leading to a better life for the animals. Finally, hunters are crucial in the research to keep animals alive and thriving. President Theodore Roosevelt said, the people who protest against all hunting and consider sportsmen as enemies of wildlife are ignorant of the fact that in reality, the genuine sportsman is by all odds the most important factor in keeping the larger and more valuable wild creatures from total extermination. This dude knew what was going on. I'm Kendall Jones for Turning Point USA, and in 180 seconds, I just convinced you that hunting helps animals. Hey, my name is Amy Robbins, and in 180 seconds, I am going to convince you that as a woman, you should always, always, always be carrying a weapon, and preferably a gun. Once trained and comfortable with a firearm, there is absolutely no reason that all women should not obtain a license to conceal carry. And science backs me up on this argument. According to extensive research by the European Journal of Applied Physiology, the average man is stronger, bigger, and faster than the average woman. The academic report found a significant advantage for men over women in strength and muscle fiber characteristics. Now, if feminists truly do care about equality between the sexes, they would absolutely embrace the idea of women obtaining a tool that levels the odds, or quite frankly, tilts them in her favor. Data shows that one of the places women are most vulnerable is while they're working out. According to a recent Runner's World survey, 30% of women have reported being followed on their run or walk, and 43% have actually been harassed, myself included. And it was this feeling of being helpless and defenseless that led me to get my license to carry and join the millions of women that do conceal carry. Molly Tibbetts, Karina Vetrano, Wendy Martinez, Celia Barquin, all are fit young women who were killed recently by deranged, sick men while working out. And countless women may be alive today had they been empowered with the great equalizer, a hidden firearm. But Amy, isn't this dangerous? Listen, I'm around guns a lot. Not a single one of them has ever tried to hurt me. Amazing, right? Guns are a tool, and human beings are the ones who use the tool, for good or evil. According to the CDC's National Intimate Partner and Sexual Violence Survey, one in five women have experienced completed or attempted rape. That's horrifying. With staggering numbers like that, shouldn't young women have the ability to protect themselves against a would-be assailant? Perhaps if more rapists were met with armed resistance, there'd be fewer and fewer of them. Unfortunately, leftist politicians seek to legislate me out of my right to self-defense. 
and they say they're for women's rights. Carrying concealed gives me a fighting chance to survive should I find myself in a threatening situation that many women face each and every day. Concealed carrying can do the same for you. So I urge you, in light of the reality that we live in where bad things happen to good people, be aware, be trained, and always carry with confidence. And here's the good news. Women are the fastest growing population of concealed carry permit holders. Let's make sure there are less rapists in the world. Together. I'm Amy Robbins for Turning Point USA, and in 180 seconds, I just convinced you that women should always, always, always be caring. I'm David Harris Jr. And in 180 seconds, I'm going to convince you that God belongs in government. Our rights come from God. In writing the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson defines the concept of inalienable rights. Jefferson declared that our rights are not given by the state, but rather endowed by our Creator. Jefferson wrote that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Up until 1776, it was common in every society throughout history to believe that rights come from a human ruler who can give or take away your rights at any time. The brilliance of America's founding documents is that they declare that our rights come from God and no government can take them away. Godless societies are far worse for its citizens. We already know what godless societies look like. The 20th century was one of the bloodiest in history, and that's primarily due to atheism. In atheist societies like Nazi Germany or the Soviet Union, the ideological objective was the elimination of all religion. The communist government confiscated religious property, openly ridiculed religion, persecuted, harassed people of faith, and pushed for atheism to be taught in schools. Their goal? To breed God out of a society within a single generation. In total, the godless Soviet Union is estimated to have murdered 62 million of its own people. Other godless societies like Mao Zedong's communist China killed almost 77 million people. He started out by closing up all religious sites and rounded up all religious leaders and had them killed. The idea of Mao's Marxism was to truly create a godless state, a utopia. It was more like hell on earth. The United States is a religious country with a secular government, and that's why you will never see murders by those numbers here, so long as God remains a part of American life. According to a study by the Pew Research Center, people who are active in religious congregations are happier, live longer, and more civically engaged and generous than people who don't. The Pew analysis suggests that people who aren't engaged in religious activities or have a belief in God see a decline in personal and social well-being. Without God, there is no recognition of inalienable rights and no more life in the pursuit of happiness. I'm David Harris Jr. for Turning Point USA, and I just convinced you that God belongs in government in just 180 seconds.
My name is Donald Trump Jr. I'm going to convince you that the radical left are modern day fascists. Fascism is a form of political rule imposed by force. Fascism gives a central government all authority. It glorifies violence on behalf of radical political positions and despises the individual. Fascists do not believe in natural rights. On the contrary, fascists believe rights are given and can be taken away by big government. This is why fascists hate religion. This is why fascists believe in government-controlled labor instead of private labor. Above all, true fascists despise democracy. Fascists do not believe in the basic American tenet of allowing you free speech. After all, free thinking can be dangerous. Thus, fascists always seek violence and intimidation to silence their opposition. So let me ask you, what modern political movement does fascism sound like? If you've been paying attention, you already know. The radical left, it's on its quest for big government control. It has turned every freedom-loving American into their political enemy. In recent years, they've made it more aggressively clear than ever before. They despise religious freedom and private business. But now, they're focused on taking away every natural right highlighted in our Bill of Rights. This is modern-day fascism, or what we like to call neo-fascism. Just look at what the neo-fascist left has done to my father since he decided to run for president. My dad used to be the most rapped about and admired businessman in popular culture. But if you cross the fascists, you better be ready. The radical left now posts billboards in Times Square of my dad being physically assaulted. Kathy Griffin poses with his decapitated head. Snoop Dogg makes music videos depicting my father's murder. Madonna publicly suggests we blow up the White House with my father inside. But it's not just my father. The radical left sent fake anthrax to my house while my children were getting ready for school. They spit on my brother at a diner in Chicago. They sent death threats to the other members of my family on a daily basis. But honestly, that's not what I'm worried about. It's the conservative, blue-collar, red-blooded Americans across this country. The people that my father ran to support and to fight for. You're the ones the neo-fascist left hates the most. The left has turned their fascist rage on everyday teachers, shop owners, journalists, and even our own children in our communities. The radical left attacks conservatives in the streets with regularity. Conservative students are terrorized on campus by the radical left in an attempt to silence them. In 2017, a leftist opened fire on a group of conservative congressmen playing baseball. The leftist shot round after round attempting to murder an elected official because they were conservative. He nearly succeeded. On the day of my dad's inauguration, hundreds of violent leftist protesters were arrested. Since then, thousands more have been arrested across the country. Ironically, many are members of a so-called anti-fascist group named Antifa. Antifa members use violent fascist tactics to terrorize a population and trample people's rights. Antifa is a fascist movement by every definition of the word. Recently, leftist Antifa fascists targeted and beat a gay Asian journalist named Andy No. They beat him so badly he was hospitalized with a brain hemorrhage. Guess how many people were arrested? Zero. None. If there was an organized gang of conservatives putting liberals in hospital beds, the media would treat it like a civil war. Far too often the media are complicit in the fascist violence and the destruction of the left. That's because the vast majority of the media are also leftists who deem violence acceptable as long as conservatives are the target. That's not enough? 
You don't believe me? Look what happened to this teenager. 16-year-old Nick Sandman smiled on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial on a school field trip. That's all he did, nothing more. For this, the media doxed him and attempted to ruin him for life. If they'll do that to a 16-year-old kid, who won't they do it to? Who is off-limits if they're willing to go after children? It's disgusting. The left is using fascist tactics to silence their opposition, and it's working. A new report from the Knight Foundation shows that nearly 70% of all college students believe that the current climate at universities prevents them from freely expressing their true beliefs. Nearly half of these students have said they don't believe in free speech at all, if it offends someone. The left is proposing government takeover of private business, stripping churches of their tax-exempt status, stripping you of your Second Amendment rights. It's all fascism, people. The neo-fascist left is using every tool available to them to thwart freedom and to carry out their agenda to destroy the greatest country to ever exist in the history of the world. They are using fascist tactics to do it. Don't let them. I'm Donald Trump Jr. And I truly hope I convinced you that the radical left are the true modern day fascists. Want to find out more about the left's cultural war for America? In my new book, Triggered, I detail in depth the tactics of today's leftist fascism. Check out Triggered. I think you'll like it.